it all started back in that day when we went overseas, we opened our eyes, we invested in ourselves, we, you know, sought knowledge outside the martial arts industry as well as within the industry. And then it was just one step at a time and consistent growth. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, Check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of MartialArtsMedia.com, George Faree. Hi, this is George Free from MartialArtsMedia.com and welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast, episode number 14. Today I have a very inspiring, very versatile, talented young man on board and this gentleman is truly, truly a gift of multiple talents and what I mean by that is, first, well, first up, he's born into martial arts, he is an amazing martial artist, his skills are just beyond it's it's in another another level um if you follow any of his social media accounts he spends most of his time in the air his tricking ability is beyond this world Uh, he his skills are just phenomenal you got to see it to actually absorb what it is he is capable of and when it comes to the business side their family own and operate one of the most successful martial arts schools within australia if not the most successful and that of course depends on how you measure success but what i can tell you is they have one look, their main location has a total of 1,450 students. They have another five satellite locations of 200 students each, approximately. And they have systems and staffing in place that allows them to operate seven days per week. So whether or not that is your goal, look, there's value in what these guys have learned along the way. And the guest that I'm talking about, of course, after much suspense, is Hakan Manav. Hakan shares his journey of humble beginnings, having to live up to expectations of his dad's reputation, Master Ridvan Manav, and just his journey going from, you know, where they started out with basically nothing and building up this organization and feeling that pressure from a young age and dealing with that. We also touch about his movie career, how Australian Talent Show opened multiple doors for him. So much to share in this conversation on multiple, multiple levels. As always, depending on where you're listening to this, you can find the show notes and everything else mentioned within this podcast, you can find at martialartsmedia.com forward slash 14, the number one four. And that's it for now. I want to get into this interview. Enjoy and welcome to the show, Mr. Hakan Manav. Good day, everyone. Today, I have a guest with many talents on uh, on with me today, and that is Hakan Manav. Now, I, I'm really not sure how this conversation is going to go because we can talk about movies, we can talk about being featured on Australia's Got Talent, we can talk about his martial arts career in general, but um, we'll see where we'll see where this goes. So, welcome to the call, Hakan. Uh, pleasure to be here, George. Thank you. All right. So. For those of for those that don't are not familiar with you, let's I guess start right at the beginning. Who is mm-hmm. Hakan Manav? Well, yeah, let's go back to when I was born. So basically, my um, my father established the Australian Martial Arts Academy well over thirty years now. I think uh, pushing on to thirty five years soon. I think thirty four. Yeah. So I'm currently twenty eight, going on to twenty nine. So I was born into the 
born into the family, born into the martial arts from a very young age and uh, grew up with it and uh, had many fantastic experiences uh, because of the martial arts. So I've been very fortunate. Uh, but yeah, there are photos of me in the nappies starting out in martial arts. Okay, so that's that's way back. <laughs> yeah, many many years ago. So 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 what came came first? So so you you grew up in martial arts, and mm-hmm. and so how, how did how did things evolve? I mean, was it was yeah. it just a given that you were going to become an instructor, or? Yeah, well, I mean, my dad my dad was uh you know he was heavily involved. He was he was quite young at the time, so you know he was active, and I had that uh, I had that role model there from the very beginning. We were predominantly a, a Taekwondo tournament based school back in the day. So that was the culture that I was brought up with. And, um, you know, back then the academy was part time in that my father had a full time job and he did this, did this as a passion. And yeah, all we really wanted to do was, uh, fight, uh, train to fight, make the Australian team travel and everything that came along with that. So my young journey started with that and and I've competed in many tournaments growing up so that there there were my fond memories as a young kid traveling to all these destinations around the world uh competing camaraderie having fun and and then I got to a point where I you know completely had enough hated martial arts sick of martial arts had <laughs> nothing that had didn't want to do anything with it you know so um that's when my friends started to play a bigger role in my life and um you know, we had this, uh, we had this c- consistent struggle, uh, in the family household, but, you know, I found my way back into it, found what I loved and, you know, the rest is history. What, what do you, what do you equate that struggle to? Do you, is it sort of having that plateau too look, quickly or? Look, um, I think it's a culmination of things. You know, first of all, it was a pressure. There was a pressure situation. So I was always the master's son, the boss's son. So that came with a lot of pressure everywhere we went. So. I always had this uh, weight on my shoulders. So there was that. And then, you know, there was my friends doing other sports and, and things like that. And, and, uh, and then you've got the business element to it. So everything that comes with the stress, you know, trying to ensure the members. So as a young kid, I was exposed to all of this and it all, it all just kind of played its toll, you know, setting up at, setting up at festivals, doing the extra work, uh, doing the makeup classes. And everything like everything that like when instructors couldn't show up, all this uh, added stress um, was on my shoulders from a very young age. So I, I do remember, I do embrace it. There was a fantastic learning experience, and it really did set the platform for where we are today. But um, you know, it was a it was a culmination of things. <clears throat> okay, I can I, I can I can I can understand how that that would happen. You know, all the pressure yeah. and and so forth. How did, how did you how did you actually get it back? Like yeah, look, I did. Um, look, I uh, I've actually been training throughout my whole life. You know, in martial arts, it, there were just periods where I would train more, five to six days a week, five to six days a week. Sorry, and then there would be periods where I only would train a minimum of twice a week. So back when I was, I'm gonna say when I was about thirteen, fourteen, at that age group there, you know, just started high school, you know. The friends were cool. Hanging out was cool. All my friends back then wanted to were into rugby league and and all the team sports. So they would talk about their games on the weekend. None of them would really want to care that I was the best, um, you know, taekwondo athlete in my division for my age group in Australia. You know, none of them would really care about that. So that was really hard for me when I would come back to school. 
I'd just come from an overseas trip. I want to share all my experiences and it just would go nowhere. So, you know, that was the struggle that I faced. But then I tried some other sports. Uh, I did soccer. I did tennis. I did uh, basketball while still doing martial arts twice a week. But um, I, I would always also do this and then go to the games on the weekend. So I did that and then I had a lot of fun with it. And I can definitely say, um, I can definitely say when we do promote that martial arts does improve your coordination, does help with other sports. I can personally say that it does because when I did do other sports, I picked it up very quickly um, because of that athletic background. I played soccer for a couple, a few years and, um, and I picked it up really well. The footwork drills, the agility, the dribbling, all of that I did really well, but I soon realized that I wasn't as, I wasn't as proficient at soccer than I was with martial art. There were, there were a lot of very good kids, uh, that were doing the team sports, you know, and I realized that I was good, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the top tier that I used to be in the Taekwondo. So I went through that period. I had my fun with it, but then I realized, you know, I think my, my true, my true passion lies in the martial arts. That's what I was essentially born to do. So, you know, I, I find my, found my way back into it back when I was about 16, you know, so I had a few years where I didn't compete, just kind of had a bit of fun with it. And then I, and I found my way, but I'm extremely grateful. My parents allowed me to do that. However, however, we have to share this funny story with you all. Um, as a young kid, I was super flexible. I could do splits, um, in my sleep and I played soccer for a couple of years and then I lost my split. You know, I lost my flexibility. I came back and I remember going to my dad, dad, why did you let me play soccer? I lost my flexibility. So, um, you know, it was just this funny family, uh, feud that we had. <laughs> yes. Cause I, I think I saw a picture of you floating around that puts John Claude Van Damme to shame. Yeah, the... yeah, yeah. It was definitely one of my role models you know, I actually met him at a young age. So, uh, we had photos of him and, you know, my dad also was extremely flexible. How, how, how's your career evolved? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I see you've, you've been in movies and I see you doing all this tricking stuff, and yeah, which yeah. is just phenomenal. And and then you've got the, the instructor side of things going. So yes. what sort of yes. what sort of the predominant drive were you, were you taking your martial arts career? Yeah, look, it's all... Uh, it all, it, it all just, yeah, like I said, it all started back when I came back into martial arts when I was about 16. I'd made the Australian Taekwondo team. Our school was a predominantly based Taekwondo school then. We went, I went to Korea for the Junior World Championships, and there I saw this demonstration team. They were called the Korean Tigers, and they were fantastic. Uh, so I continued fighting, but I remember the impact they had on me. The, the moves they were doing were fantastic. But what really drew to me was the entertainment value, value they brought to martial arts, the wow factor. It was something I had never seen before. So I came back home and I continued training. And at that time, I was just about finishing school. And my family always stressed the importance of education. So not only did I want to be good at martial arts, I also wanted to ensure that my schoolwork, uh, was there. I wanted to get into a top university. I wanted to do a, a degree that I loved. And during my final years of high school, I really put my head down and I would do a minimum of three hours of study every night back in the day and also continue my training. So I'd keep both of it up. I received a really, really good, uh, I guess, UAI, which is the HSC um, year 12 exam result. I went into the University of, Sydney, University of Sydney 
and I studied a Bachelor of Commerce majoring in finance. So I did that for four years when I was about the ages of 18 till 22. At that time, uh, we applied a lot of the business principles to the academy to really lay the foundations and frameworks to running a legitimate uh, professional business, ensuring that the marketing, the accounting, the human resource, the curriculum, the delivery, everything was laid there. So we, all of that process happened in, during that time. At this, around the same time, back in 2009, we, um, we we saw this uh, we saw this audition for Australia's Got Talent, <clears throat> so we thought we'd, we'd give it a go. It was a great challenge. Uh, we entered it, and it was a great challenge for me because up until that time, I was had a great uh, experience in the competitive aspect of martial arts. You know, the sportsmanship, the traveling, uh, the the weight cutting, and everything. The the discipline, the satisfaction, uh, the sacrifice that goes into to training every single day. So I wasn't really able to get my creative juices flowing at that point. This this opportunity came along and I jumped at it. I said, let's see what we can do. Uh, let's, you know, let me see if I can make this as entertaining as possible. Now, throughout my whole life, I had this frustrating experience in that anytime I told people that I would do martial arts for a living or we run a martial arts school, it would really be looked down upon. And I think it's because a lot of the times when people have had a martial arts experience, it's often in the local church hall or the local school hall. You know, so people, I felt that it, for me personally, it, people really looked down upon it and it was didn't really have a, a really positive stereotype back in the day. So I thought, you know, this is a fantastic experience for me if I could really get our school out there and, and hopefully shine a positive light on, on the sport. So rather than going out and doing a whole bunch of uh, kicks and things like that, we thought, let's make it entertaining. Let's make it appealing. Let's add some comedy in there. Let's add a, add a bit of a storyline. So we did that and we got really far. You know, we got to the grand, we got to the finals and um, we didn't end up winning. A singer ended up winning, but it, we had a lot of fun with it. And that opened up a lot of doors for me, that experience there. Um, you know, we, we, it just took off from there. We, we put our school on the map. We, the demonstrations inc uh, increased dramatically. The, the demand increased dramatically for the performances as well as for the school. And then we just rode the wave. And for a few years, I did seminars. I did martial arts seminars, extreme kick seminars, just really adding this element uh, to all martial arts schools around the country, just getting that wow factor in there just motivating, providing students with another element they could add to their curriculum. It proved to be successful at our school and, and many other schools as well. Excellent. Now, so so, when, it, when, so when, when the Australia Australia Got Talent happened, you, you just saw the opportunity and it just, and that was it, you, you jumped on that. And it jumped on it, yeah. I mean, look, I know there had been a lot of other martial arts schools that had also done it, but... Um, you know, it, it, it was hard. It was hard. It, it was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge because there was no real benchmark or no real precedent set that I could follow here. How, how things how things evolved from that point? So, you know, you guys have got a really, really successful business. With, mm -hmm. How's this all played a role in that? Yeah. So basically, also at that time, so so that happened about 2009. Let's take, let's go back a few years. Let's go back to 2005, 2006. We went overseas to the martial arts industry super show. 
which is the Maya uh, martial arts convention that was held in Vegas. And again, that really opened up our eyes to everything that we could that we could do in the martial arts business in the martial arts industry so we created our little dragons program we created the dragons program we created upgrade programs we did um you know and we did we really had an experienced a major culture shift within the academy so when i talk about being a, a fighter dominated school we really transformed that it did take a bit of time but we really focused on leadership and cultivating leaders, assistant instructors, junior instructors, really developing an instructor program. That happened about, yeah, about 10 years ago now. So we experienced that. I was just coming out of school and we, we had some fantastic instructors who are still with us today. So who are open to change, who are open to making things better, setting a professional platform, you know, aiming for world class service in the industry. So. It all started back in that day when we went overseas, we opened our eyes, we invested in ourselves, we, you know, sought knowledge outside the martial arts industry as well as within the industry. And then it was just one step at a time and consistent growth. So I'm going to say back then we would have had about 300 students <clears throat> at the one location. Okay. And you've expanded that to 1,450? Yeah, right now we're actually just sitting on uh, 1,450 members in the one location. So so what challenges does that bring? Having You obviously must have a huge premises, but having 1,450 students at one location, what challenges does that bring on a day-to-day basis? There are a lot of challenges, definitely, but when you develop a fantastic team of instructors and you develop a you know, like I said, that leadership culture, you keep everybody happy. Everyone's got their roles. It's definitely manageable. We, you know, we operate hundred over 120 classes a week. Our, our academy runs seven days a week. Everybody's got their roles. Like I said, we have a tier instructor system starting from my father at the master. We have five head instructors. We've got our instructors, our assistants, our volunteers, and so on. And everybody plays a part and we just continually ensure that everyone is looked after and make sure that we're consistently improving. So it is a challenge, but something that we can all handle, do well. We're all young, we're hungry, and we want to make sure that you know we keep this thing going as best we can. So some of the challenges we do face include, of course, staffing. That's the number one. That's the number one challenge. So that's where I spend a lot of my attention is ensuring that we're developing, we're training, we're motivating, inspiring the ins- instructors to run the 120 classes a week that we run. Okay, so if, if we go back, and this might be tough to recall, but what can you, can you recall what were the first steps you, you guys took? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you were at 300 students and you, you got yeah. back from the USA, what were, the, yeah. what were the, the key things that you thought, all right, this is what we got to do first? Yeah, Ilka was a big slap in the face. The first thing, the, one of the first things we did is we, need to, we needed to know our market. So... Our market before was fighters, so people who came in, if 10 people come in, one or two of them were the ones that really stuck it through and, and were able to do, represent us well in the competition scene. That was our kind of focus. We then said, okay, what we want to do is we want to make martial arts applicable. We want to make it uh, accessible to, to, the, to the masses. So how we did that, the, one of the first steps we did was dividing our class 
our classes. So we had two classes back in the day. We had a junior class, everyone under the age of 15, and we had a senior class, everybody above the age of 15. <laughs> so we there, we yeah, we had we divided the brackets up into really small classes. So we first started with uh, we first started with our we looked at our uh, membership base and we said, okay, so where are our majority of our members? Our majority of our members were in the what we call our ninjas age group, which is the nine the nine to twelve age group. So we set age brackets into classes. What we then do is we we developed a curriculum. We had the depth. We developed the depth in in each age group. So we had the nine to twelve, but then we went to the six to eight. Then we went to the three to five year old age group, and we just really stuck at that for a while. As the numbers grew, as we started improving our marketing and our the culture started to change and the, the instructors started to develop, we started to add more classes, more days, more age groups, and more upgrade programs. So we went with the demand, and that all really started from dividing the ages up into specific um, brackets. And 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 so at this point, you were still just focused on Taekwondo, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So our our base was predominantly Taekwondo, but then when we went overseas, it really set. We really were open to investing in ourselves, both in terms of business and in terms of leadership and knowledge, and in terms of um, I guess physical martial arts skills. So that's where I started going out and started learning things that we can apply to our upgrade program. So things included like the extreme kicking, the uh, the martial arts tricking element, the weaponry. This was a uh, this complemented our martial arts training and proved to be a further challenge to our advanced members, which then improved our retention. So not only did I do that, my father did that, and so did our other head instructors. We we took, we went we went out and we followed our passion in whatever field you know it was, be it self defense, be it um, kickboxing, and then we got all this knowledge embedded it into our curriculum and then and then went from there okay i just i just want to highlight that if, if i if i heard that right so you said by by raising the bar and making it more sort of a, a complex challenge for the students that increased the retention definitely definitely so you know again i'm going to give you some examples there were there were some students back in the back quite a few years ago where they would get their black belt, they would shake our hand and say thank you, as in, you know, they thought it was the end. They thought the black belt was the end. Again, this was another learning experience for us. It was partly our fault that we made them feel that way because maybe at that time there wasn't a, a challenge for them. So we then figured, okay, we've got to make this curriculum deeper. We've got to consistently challenge these people and provide them avenues, be it through the extreme side, be it through the leadership side, be it through the self-defense weaponry, we want to make sure that there's something for everybody. So, and that includes giving um, further challenges, but that's challenges that are manageable and broken down into small, consistent goals. If that makes sense. Okay, so 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 what would be that step for that black belt? Because I, I know for and and I I sometimes think I'm facing this with my son right now because he's yeah, he's yeah. just achieved his black belt and he's ten years yes. old. Yes, he's, yes, you know, he's put a good five, six years in to get it, but yep. I need, I need to get him to realize it, it's time to put that white belt black, uh, back Definitely. on again. You, you, yeah. It's not the, you know, your achievement is, 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 is only that for, for, yes. for where you are at. Of course, of course. And look, uh, I think all this co- does come 
back down to the instructor is because if if us as instructors, if we keep investing in ourselves and improving our knowledge, then we can, like I said, uh, in, increase the depth in our content, increase the depth in our curriculum. It's going to consistently create that wow factor in that, well, look at my instructor. He keeps improving or she keeps improving. There's so many more things we can learn. So firstly, I believe it has to be cultivated through the leaders and through the instructors in the academy. That's what needs to be done. At our school, what we do is once people get a black belt, they have this, um, as well as doing a physical test, they have to fill out this worksheet. And one of the questions is, uh, how has achieving my black belt um, changed my life? So it's reflection and on where they've come. And the second question, so second part of the question is, what are my goals moving into going into the future now that I am a black belt? So it gets them thinking about that from a very young age. But then we also have a beyond black belt curriculum, which we've just, uh, which we've, we give to the black belts. And on that, we have, we, they still grade. So I feel that in most styles and most systems, when people do get a black belt, the, the grading period is a very long time between, uh, between grading. So that can, that could, uh, in, you know, that could make the black belts lose motivation. Why Why is retention so good in the younger belts is because gradings are often more frequent. So they get to work towards. So we created this Beyond Black Belt curriculum for our black belts in that every six months they have a challenge. They get to in, improve a level or get closer to their next Dan or their next uh, level within that black belt curriculum. We test them on weapons. We test them on knife defenses, we test them on traditional forms, and we really lay out the path for them in the future. And we going future once they've achieved their black belt and really lay, lay out the path and make it clear for them that this is just the beginning. We use the analogy that, you know, getting your black belt is just like finishing high school. Um, and then once you get, once you get your black belt, you've graduated and you're now in open into the, you know, welcoming, welcoming into the real world. All right, awesome. So now let's go back to your instructors because I mean you've got you've got this massive organization that you're running, and you've so you've got a lot of staff, a lot lot of part time and permanent staff. Definitely. So yeah. at the top of the ship, we have my father, who is the grandmaster. We have five full time staff. We have seven uh, part time instructors that run classes that are responsible for curriculum and ensuring that you know, their programs that they're assigned to uh, run well. So these these instructors operate between three to five days a week. And then we also have a bunch of uh, part-time instructors that do about two two to three days a week. And then we have assistants uh, and then we have volunteers or non-paid staff, which we groom from a very young age. You know, we've realized that it's a long-term process and it is a numbers game. So, we you know, we invite people into our leadership instructors program and then, you know, hopefully we funnel them out and we, we, we train and we groom the right instructors. And this process does take time, but, you know, the, this industry is a long, it's a long-term game. So it's a marathon and we understand that. Yeah. So, and, and, and how, how do you sort of define a career path for an instructor? Again, we lay, lay out the path for them. So, you know, we have, we have a, I guess, a module, an instructor development module that's got all the tiers clearly written out in it in terms of their roles and responsibilities and what needs to be done. They have a log and they have to do a certain uh, minimum of 
hours uh, on the floor, then they have to get checked off by somebody on top of them. So by an instructor of that day or of that class who checks off and provides them with their feedback. And that's how we go about doing it through that. Then we have obviously consistent training that we do and so on. All right. Awesome. All right. So, so last few on the business. So you had 1,450 students. What's the next level for you guys? Yeah. So that's 1,450 in the one location. We have five other part-time locations as well throughout Sydney. And they have about, you know, they they run with about two staff and they have a, about 200 members in each location there. Uh, so, and then we have, and we're also in about, we're in about three schools that we teach as a school sports program as part of the um, interest sport curriculum as well. I guess the next step for us is to continually raise the platform, continue to develop instructors, as well as, uh, you know, raising the bar, keep learning, keep developing, keep going on, uh, keep following the trends as we, you know, as we know, for example, technology is consistently changing. So being on top of all of that, and but my, my, my personal goal is to ensure that, you know, we provide world-class uh, service, provide world's best practice service in the martial arts industry. Okay, excellent. All right, and Akhan, how about you? Because I mean, I've seen you. I've been. I've seen a few movie reels from you, yeah, and, yeah. and so forth. How's how's that side of your career evolving? Yeah, definitely. Let's go back to that. So again, again, the martial art, the Australia's Got Talent. Uh, put my team, put myself on the map. That opened up a lot of doors for me personally as well. So that opened up a lot of opportunities for short films, feature films, stunt work. So my, you know, I. What I, what I did do is I didn't throw myself completely into that field in terms of I, did, I didn't burn my bridges and, and say move to LA per se because I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the martial arts business. I enjoyed teaching and, and, and that was still my passion throughout that time. So when these opportunities did arise, I had the flexibility to go out and do it. I did a six-week show in Dubai, a live theater show, which was a massive production and a fantastic experience. So for me, it's all about enjoying it, enjoying what the martial arts offers, be it through the entertainment, be it through the business side, the teaching side, giving back, uh, and living a fantastic lifestyle that martial arts does offer. So for me, it's always been about challenges, opportunities, experiences, and just really enjoying the life that martial arts brings. Okay, great. And then I, I have, I have to find, I have to know yeah. your, your training schedule and so forth because the, the type of things that you are able to do with yeah. all your spinning kicks and, and yeah. it's stuff that I'm not even going to try and pronounce here but yeah. I mean how much time and work goes into developing that level of skill set yeah look I um again I have to be thankful for the discipline and the uh I guess the consistency that martial arts training has offered me from a very young age so for me it's no biggie it's what I grew up doing it's what I what I, what I, that's all I know really. So I do, I train about seven to 12 sessions a week, seven to 12 sessions a week. That includes weights training. That in, includes body work, calisthenic type training. It includes Taekwondo, boxing, Muay Thai. So it depends. And as well as the flipping and the tricking as well. So I like to really mix it up and keep it in, interesting for me because I feel that's the way to grow. So I always try and find ways to be a little uncomfortable. Uh, and, and, you know, this tricking side is like that. The, the flipping side is challenging because it's consistently overcoming fears. I remember when I learned my first backflip, the fear of going backwards was very tough. So 
I try and keep my training consistent no matter what we go through, no matter how busy we are. Um, I always ensure that I get my sessions in, weekends, weekdays, late nights, early mornings. Who cares? It doesn't matter for me. I, 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 I've got to find the time to do it because it's who I am and it's what I love to do. That's awesome. So embrace the discomfort. Exactly, you know, and that's what I look to do. I'm going pushing on to 30 now. I feel great. Um, and I, you know, I always try and keep in shape, work on my flexibility, work on my stretching, um, and just keep, keep on keeping on, I guess. Awesome. Hakan, it's been really great to chat to you. Is there, where, where can people find out more about you? Cause I know there's, there's, there's so much to what you offer for the martial yeah. arts industry. Where can people yeah. find out more about what it is that you do and, and offer? Look, they can contact me directly through Facebook. Hakan Manav is my name uh, as well. So they can correct, can contact me through there. My, I guess all my videos and the programs that I offer in terms of seminars and things like that is on my website at www.hakanmanav, H-A-K-A-N-M-A-N-A-V.com. And for more information about our academy, it's, it's basically uh, au. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much for speaking to me this morning, Hakan. Not a problem. Not a problem, George. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Speak soon. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. All right. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed the interview. How good was that? So many things to learn. And, and besides the business value, if you head over to his social media accounts, look for Hakan Manav on Facebook, on Instagram. I will have links to that in the show notes, martialartsmedia.com forward slash 14. And think back to the fact that Hakan mentioned that he was scared about doing a backflip at one stage. It just shows once you push those barriers of fear away, what is humanly possible? Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week. If you want to support the show, it's a little effort on your part. Not much. All that we ask for is a good review with iTunes. This helps us rank within the iTunes directory system, whatever you want to call it. And it gets us, gets the word out. Gets the word out to martial arts school owners like yourself. And what I'm finding interesting is a lot of People are listening to this show that aren't martial arts business owners, but they are finding value in just the transformational journeys of top martial arts business owners. And I'm, for myself as well, the value that I'm getting is just tremendous because the information shared where I initially started and thought it's, it's, it's all going to be business. It's not. It's, it's the deeper things behind the business. It's the mindset. It's the trans- transformations and the philosophies that come strong from martial arts that just makes the podcast valuable and obviously the information that is that is being shared. So if you want to help out the show, martialartsmedia.com forward slash iTunes and just leave us a review. Five-star reviews boost our rankings, but hey, an honest review would be awesome. And that's it from me. We'll be back again next week with another show. Thanks again for listening. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.